This is loudspeaker. Why do some people spell magic with a CK? Okay, great question. So it is to distinguish it from the loser men with top hats and white rabbits. Please don't go. I need you so. I. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the podcast about finding joy through feminism and living your best feminist life. I'm your host, Adrienne Vandervalk, and today's episode is going to be great for anyone who believes in magic, but I think it's actually going to be even better if you don't, because I am willing to bet that by the time you finish listening, you may actually change your mind or at least open it just a crack. And I think this because my guest, Dr. Kate Thomas, is truly one of the most powerful magical people I have ever had the good fortune of meeting. And she is passionate about showing women and non-binary people how to activate the power and the magic that lies within all of us, even if we don't know that it's there. Kate is highly trained as a psychic and a witch, and she has a PhD in theology from Oxford University. But the title that really describes who she is is Spiritual Empowerment Mentor. She runs a year-long program called the Spiritual Life Upgrade. I think when we recorded it was six months, but it has since been extended to an entire year. And because I am one of her students, I can vouch for the fact that it is truly an every aspect of your life upgrade. I've been waiting to share our conversation, and I knew that this was the perfect week because this is kind of a funky, COVID-y, post-election pre probably not very fun holiday time. And I truly think that she is a voice we all need right now. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kate Thomas. I think that I have talked more to you about feminism in the last six months than like anybody in my entire life. (laughs) So I'm really, really pleased to have you here on the show today. And I know that you've done a lot in your career. So I won't ask you to dive into the whole thing, but could you give us a brief history of you and just tell us about some of the major milestones on your journey as a psychic and a witch and a feminist and a scholar? Well, there's so much, you know, like with everyone's life, I guess, that's just a huge amount to pull out the major bits is always difficult. But I suppose the the most characteristic or unusual thing about my career is that I didn't pick it at all. In fact, this is pretty much the last thing that I ever thought that I would end up doing. When I was very young, I, of course, I suppose, had various psychic abilities, but they were never recognized as such. And in fact, my whole family were very, they ridiculed anything like this. So it wasn't really till I was about 16 or 17 that I realized that the the various abilities that I had had a name and that name was clairaudience or clairvoyance. And so even at that age, 16, 17, realizing that there was something else going on than I had been led to believe, I was very, very resistant to accepting that I could get extra information. I didn't see it as a as a gift. I still don't really see it as a gift. And and tried very, very hard to ignore really who I am and what I do and what I think the authentic version of myself looked like. Um, I spent most of, yeah, most of the first 30 years of my life just running away from that. And what that looked like in practicality was training initially as a bookbinder, 
the paper conservator, I was really quite determined to do something practical because I love practical things. And then academia. And I just kept on leaving academia and then coming back to it, thinking I was going to be a, a barrister, criminal barrister, and then not going through with the exam, then coming back to academia, all the way up to about six years ago now, where I completed my PhD in in theology, specifically mysticism, women mystics. So, so yeah, to get to the point where I was a very you know, successful psychic, I could never have, I mean, imagined um, that that would happen. I was, I was so resistant to it. Well, I feel like we should do a whole other show on women mystics, because I've heard you say that before, and I've sort of bookmarked it in my mind, like that would be a really interesting thing to talk about. So your work now is largely focused on helping women or people who are not cisgender men step into their personal power. And that's kind of a very specific niche approach to the kind of work as a psychic that you do. So what made you decide to pursue this particular path? I was working as a, as a tarot reader for, for some years with continued success and more and more success. And the thing that I noticed and I realized again and again was that I kept on seeing the same problems, the same shit just kept on coming back for people and predominantly for women and of course you know it's it's not very surprising when we think about structural oppression of course we're going to be we're all we're all sort of under this well various forms of intersecting structural oppression but as um, women we're going to constantly come up against the same blocks the same issues the same problems and this is what I was seeing in my practice and my, my private practice as a psychic ended up just becoming uh, a real focus on empowerment for women just because that's who came to me you know like that that is who my clients um, were people women that needed really just needed to be reminded of who the hell they are you know this is a phrase that I that I use quite a lot like remember who the fuck you are and I think that for so many of us um, not brought up as as men it's actually just incredibly difficult to know who that is, what that is, what does it look like to know yourself, you know, um, separate from all these multiple layers of cultural conditioning that tell, tell us, you know, who, who we think we might be or what we should be. And so the transition from working full time as a, as a psychic to now running the spiritual life upgrade happened pretty quickly, um, I suppose, because I just realized I don't want to be beating around the bush with this. You know, I was having clients that were coming back to me every three months to have like another dose of empowerment or clarity or, you know, being reminded of, of who they are really via a reading. And I thought this is, it, it didn't feel like it was, I was able to support them in the way that they needed to be supported. So basically I, I sat down and thought to myself okay what would it look like to take what I feel most passionately about very seriously right because I'd never never been able to do that previously like that question what is it that I'm excited and passionate about even was almost impossible for me to answer until my late 30s but to to ask what is it that I'm most passionate about and what would it look like to take that seriously 
just really opened every imaginable doorway, I suppose, uh, of possibility. And what came up from that was a realization that I wanted to work exclusively with um, women and non-binary people, and that specifically I wanted to teach them how to master energy, energy work, because I have a fundamental belief that everything, everything is an energy game really. And, and that when you can master your energy and you understand, or you have a very helpful framework of how the universe works, then life is radically different, like fundamentally radically different. And then you don't need to have check-ins every three months with, a, with a, an empowering psychic, right? You, you just don't need it. And so that's what I decided, what I decided to do really. What would it look like if the thing I was, mo if I took seriously the thing I was most passionate about? I love that phrase. It's deceptively simple really, isn't it? Because I think that there's so much in the new age that talks about follow, you know, if you follow your heart, you'll never work a day in your life and all this sort of bullshit. But this is not the same as sitting down and, and getting really, really clear about what are you most passionate about and what would it look like to take that seriously? I mean, that's the answers to that question are sort of completely infinite. And the other thing I suppose that I missed out of uh, the story of how I got to where I am is that I, I spent 20 years studying various esoteric and occult mystery traditions, both practically initiated into various organizations, I guess you would call them, and then also studying privately to learn really these ancient practices and techniques of energy mastery. So it was a kind of perfect culmination, I guess, of 32, 33 years of my life and at least 21 years of which I was actively engaged in in studying and learning all about the, the, the esoteric and specifically how to how to manipulate, master, understand, and more importantly, use and take control of the power that we all have. We is intrinsic to us all as as beings, and so the the program sort of blossomed from this, from my true desire and true will of really supporting, creating an environment that would allow women particularly to get really clear really quickly who the fuck they were and what the fuck they wanted to do that was my intention and so the first year was really me doing that and hoping that the right people would you know feel the the call as it were and yeah I mean that happened a million times over it was just it is so incredible that the program that we, we run now is just something that I it feels like a real life's work that I'm very proud of. And we just, I just work with the most incredible people. So yes, I mean, I guess it's proof that the work that I teach works, I guess, because I'm doing absolutely, <laughs> absolutely what I'm passionate about. And I take it very, very seriously. Well, I've had the good fortune to be one of your students. And one of the things I've appreciated is that a lot of the work is grounded in working with spirit and tapping into the non-material world and using some of these esoteric traditions that you've referenced. But then some of it is really grounded in very pragmatic kind of earthbound practices like setting boundaries and saying no, for example. So can you talk about how you help the women that you work with connect these two aspects of their realities? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important, actually. This is sort of one of my firm, well, the tenets, I guess, of, of, of my particular 
way of teaching is that very, very different to how I was taught. So in these various groups and mystery traditions, the focus on the material and the practical is shunned almost entirely, right? You know, you're sort of taught that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, which I just think is totally, totally wrong and um, and deeply unhelpful and also just leaves no space for pleasure and joy connected to the material and to the body. Now, I'm a Taurian, which, you know, is like a very, very strong earth sign focused in almost, almost all the time entirely on the material. And I feel like the material world is something that's not just something that we have to enjoy. It's not something that we have to navigate. I think it is in an integral, if not the integral vehicle, let's say, of any progress, any uh, movement towards peace and happiness that we might achieve on a spiritual level. It is the vehicle through which we use to achieve that. So for me, it's going to always be really important to be able to master one's energy. So for example, like you reference, I spend two months teaching on boundaries alone because it's such an integral part of being able to create the life you want really is basically just saying no to everything you don't. But one of the things that's so important about understanding how to set boundaries is that you need to understand or one needs to understand the energy dynamics going on in any situation. And so having the skills to work out, okay, in this particular dynamic, this is my stuff and that is theirs. And I want this from this situation, you know, being really super clear about what your goal is, what energy is yours, what's not really is an esoteric skill, right? It's like um, something that you have to refine and practice. And it is, you know, it's really developing a particular type of sensitivity, very well, sort of boundary form of sensitivity. But if you have that, but no capacity to verbalize that, you know, so let's say I've got real clarity about what I want from an interaction with a person and what I want is absolutely nothing. I want it to stop, but I don't have the confidence or I don't know how to bring that certainty that clarity into my physical actions and my verbal you know communication it's going to be of absolutely no use in fact it won't be empowering it'll be disempowering because I'll know what I want and have no ability to to say it so I think that it's absolutely equally important to to ground this work in material practical examples and and teachings otherwise how you know we're trying to create a a physical material world that we want right so this work has to be grounded in, in stuff like that so to have that basic ability to to say no that's the classic kind of central piece I suppose but it's also unsurprisingly the piece that so many women find so difficult I mean it's been very interesting for me teaching this for a couple of years now I'm always well I was at the beginning surprised by how confronting it can be to just um, say no to someone right so like or, or even give if I were to give a student a, a, an exercise which would be the next time that someone asks you to do something and you don't want to do it just very politely just simply say no I can't do that without giving a reason and not apologizing it's almost impossible it's so hard and so the way that we can make saying no easier is to understand that it's all an energy game, right? It's all energy. And so therefore you can, before you ever even need to get to the point of verbalizing no, 
you can use techniques to pull your energy back. So probably that person wouldn't even feel entitled to ask you. But if they did, you would have the, the certainty and the confidence to clearly say no. Another material, practical application of this energy mastery work that you focus on is money as a primary area where people not raised as men tend to come to you for help and really need some direction. Can you talk about some of the limiting narratives that you see in your clients uh, about money? Yeah, absolutely. Money is something I feel really passionate, passionately about. And I think the primary obstacle that most women particularly, but as you say, everyone that's not raised a man has around money is an absolute lack of entitlement to it, right? So the word, word entitlement even makes us feel very uncomfortable because it's been associated and is associated with an oppression. Um, so entitlement currently is a sort of shorthand very often for cis white male oppression, you know, taking away from others in order to to have oneself. But entitlement, true entitlement, is actually the, the, the truth that every single one of us as beings is entitled to infinity. Like, it's almost completely ineffable. Like, we all just are infinite. And so we are entitled to infinity. Now, to make that more kind of what does the hell does that mean in terms of my bank balance? Well, the thing about various forms of structural oppression is that it's replicated um, in multiple different ways. But the primary way or a primary way that structural oppression is replicated is through uh, capitalism, right? It's one of the major, well, it is the, probably the major um, structural oppression that we all are suffering under. And a really amazing trick that capitalism has played, I guess, or, or that, that is working extremely well, is connecting money to capitalism, saying that money is the same as the oppressive structure that abuses that money. Now, as far as I'm concerned, money is an energy. And that energy is absolutely not the same as an oppressive structure. And in fact, it becomes when you see money as an energy in this way, and you see capitalism as a structural oppression, it becomes actually your responsibility as someone who is anti-capitalist to take control of as much of that energy as you can. So the primary narrative that I see with the with the people that come and work with me you know, I'm, I'm very politically engaged and very politically active and very anti-capitalist. So what is often very interesting is the clients that I work with and the people that come to me that are drawn to me are also very anti-capitalist. But what that means without exception is that they're also really anti-money. And the only thing that that does is disempower them and, you know, their communities, their families. And so for me, a really significant and important shift that I really am passionate about is that we must move away from this conflation of money with capitalism. We have got to move away from it because otherwise we are just constantly putting the power back into the hands of the oppressors. Um, now, one of the ways that I personally do this and have done this really sort of successfully in my own psyche 
is to conceive of money as a woman. I think for a lot of us, when we actually start to unpack the beliefs and the narratives we have around money, and we start to say, okay, what are the characteristics that we we have around money? Like what, or rather, what, what are the characteristics we give to money? Well, almost everyone would, would probably say that money is male. Money is connected to patriarchy. Money is powerful. Maybe it's cruel, but it's certainly gendered and it's certainly not female or feminine or femme. And for me, a really um, helpful shift came when I decided, okay, well, it wasn't really a decision. In fact, this was, I, I need to give credit where it was due. One of my spirit guides, um, who have many conversations with, unfortunately for me, very daily, told me, you know, what the, the big struggle is you're trying to claim entitlement to an energy that you don't even want, right? Because I was still at this space where I didn't really want the money because I didn't really want to bring in patriarchal capitalist energy into my life. Like that that's the bad shit. I don't want that. And they showed me that if there was a, a reconception of money as a woman, actually, specifically a woman, and that this is female energy, and even if it's just for the purposes of this practice of, of claiming back power from the oppressors, I'm happy to gender money as, as female. And then it becomes a totally different story. Getting money, pulling money in, feeling entitled to money becomes actually something that you're doing for your sister who is under the control of oppressors, right? You start thinking of money as another woman. Well, we all want to help other women. Um, I mean, this is another fundamental belief that I have, like a foundational stone to my teaching is that the solidarity of the oppressed is absolutely central to our liberation and that there is a very particular type of solidarity between people who are not men and specifically between women. So when we gender money as another woman, then it becomes very much easier for us to say, you know what, you don't get to control that woman. I'm going to help her be free from you. And by the you, I'm talking about the corporations, I'm talking about the, the cis white men that currently control so much of the money. Let's talk about feminism and witchcraft. I certainly came into this work with a bit of what I have come to understand is called the witch wound, where I felt like really embarrassed about talking about these practices. And I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, what if people find out? I don't know if I want them to right. know. And I had this sort of stigma to shed around it. And what I've come to understand is there are a lot of historical reasons for that and that those historical reasons are, you know, still very, very relevant in terms of modern day feminism. So can you just kind of talk about what that means and the archetype of the witch and the meaning that that holds for modern feminists? Yeah, absolutely. The witch wound is a very real thing and it is connected to shame. Of course, it is shame, actually, that we are forced to feel. And then on top of that, a survival mechanism kicks in, which is a sort of trauma response, which says we've got to hide because it's not safe. So the witch as a as a archetype i guess for for all women and and particularly within feminism is yeah i think probably one of the most important figures that we can take power from as women that are fighting for 
our liberation and the liberation of others that are repressed because the witch as a construct, as a, as a concept, has always been the outsider, right? So witches historically in literature, in even Christian histories, have always consistently been women who were unmarried, <laughs> who had strong relationships with their animals. Often they lived alone. You know, you're sort of building up a picture of, well, to be honest, my ideal life, but like, you know, <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, um, a lot of very, very perverted versions of a patriarchal idea of femininity, right? A sort of bastardized version of of patriarchy um, and their idea of what femininity and what womanhood should look like. So we have, you know, witches always have like long nails, long hair, but they're dirty and ratty and greasy and, you know, unkempt. And they're powerful, but that power is used for bad, you know, for evil. So in terms of reclaiming this figure, I would say, you know, the first thing to do is to recognize whenever there's any marginalized group or, or individual or archetype, the first question we must always ask in any context is, who is marginalizing them, right? Like, where does the power lie is the first question always should be. And then once you ascertain broadly what the power dynamic is, you've got to ask, why are they marginalized? Well, in the case of the witch, the witch represents everything that patriarchy is, and specifically capitalist patriarchy, is most afraid of. I mean, witchcraft and magic long associated with those that had no access to institutionalized power or the normal structures of power. Magical work, ritual work, spell work, witchcraft itself has always been and continues to be the way in which those who have no structural power can materially impact and affect the world. Because it absolutely is real and completely works when done correctly. And so anyone in a position of power is going to, that that isn't concerned with equality, that isn't concerned with sharing that power, right? You know, they're going to be super concerned with clamping down, stigmatizing, scapegoating anyone that has other sources of power. Um, and the witch is just the most perfect package of that because she's she's the perverted version of what patriarchy says women should be. She's the opposite of that. And frankly, you know, we should want to be the opposite of what patriarchy tells us is the ideal. And I know that there are covens and witches out there who use spells and sigils and other kinds of magic and witchcraft for political and social justice purposes. Right. Can you um, just say a little bit more about that tradition of political witchcraft and any examples that you might know about? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm someone that just fundamentally believes that literally every form of witchcraft is political, really almost explicitly political, because the exercising of power that subverts the structural power is a political act. More recently, I mean, I suppose particularly in these last five, five, ten years, really, witchcraft has seen this resurgence with younger people and particularly this idea of the witch as the outcast and somebody that has access to power that others don't. It's the same archetype, the same energy is at play. And we can use that energy in, in any way, right? The point about witchcraft and magic is that you can literally do anything, focus on anything, 
you know, pay attention to anything, affect and 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 materially change anything, if you believe it enough. I mean, this is the sort of caveat, of course. And so when it comes to political witchcraft, I mean, yeah, I think it's actually, in fact, a, a sort of responsibility, indeed, for anyone that wields any amount of magical power to be using that power on behalf of the oppressed. And so in which case every spell that I do is political witchcraft. There are some very specific targeted ceremonies and rituals and hexes. There was one recently of a couple of friends of mine organised a hex against Brett Kavanagh, who was the rapist who, of course, was all in, in the news last year. I'm talking to the right audience. You'll know who he is. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh is actually very entwined with the origin story of Feminist Hot Dog. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yes. Well, there you go. Well, we were hexing him. <laughs> um, Good. Yeah, exactly. And and I think this is that's a sort of classic example, I guess, of really explicit political witchcraft. In that case, you know, it was very interesting because people, witches are doing work. I mean, when Trump was elected the first time, there were like witches against Trump. I mean, these are real, actual witches, you know, people who do this magical work every day, or, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, it's not just a, a sort of trendy label. That's interesting. You were part of that because I actually reported on that hexing on the ver the second episode of this podcast. Amazing. <laughs> and so how interesting that you were there. And and not surprising. One of the things I have appreciated about working with you is that you are vocal and often critical about some of the most popular literature about manifestation practices. Right. Can you talk about some of the distinctions that you draw between different approaches to manifestation work and why certain approaches can actually be damaging? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, much like the money, the money stuff, manifestation. I mean, the narratives around manifestation in the new age are, are so multiply problematic. I mean, on a very basic level, they just they don't work because um, they're missing a huge chunk of information. So in terms of, let's say, like energy work and the actual metaphysics of manifestation, we do not call things into being we're not making things we're not creating the things that we want in our lives we are instead clearing the pathway to those things for us getting access to those things so the first thing to to say is that most of the time with I can't think of any exceptions but I would be joyfully happy if somebody knew of them um, manifestation in the new age is focused upon well two things one an absolute disregard and ignoring of structural oppression, which is criminal, in, in my opinion. I mean, it just seems absolutely in, insane that one would imagine for a single moment that me as a cis white woman, you know, living in a fancy part of England, has the same access to manifesting a nice car as somebody who is none of those things, not cis, not white, living in the Bronx could have the same access to manifesting a nice car. Like, of course they fucking don't. And does that have anything to do with their capacity for magic? Of course not. None of us are coming from an even playing ground. So this, this idea that we're all sort of working from this um, flat, easy space is missed by all manifestation um, discussions in, in the new age that I know of. And I think this is a big problem. So 
the primary way in which we clear the blockages to that which we need and want is by really seriously taking taking very seriously this idea of you know right back to the first uh, thing I discussed like who the hell am I like who the fuck am I need to remember who the fuck I am well my fundamental belief is that all of us are custodians if you like of this tiny shard of the divine right so we all have this little tiny piece of divinity and my shard of the divine my tiny little sliver of divine will look very different to everybody else's but it is only my job, the only job I have is to show up to work out what that looks like in its fullest expression and to give the fullest expression to that. Well, we have to know what, I suppose, that we are, this tiny shard of the divine, in order to feel entitled to anything. And it's really only from that position that we can start clearing the blockages to whatever, you know, anything in the world, in the universe that we may want. And clearing those blockages means identifying the narratives, the stories that we have been told and that we reproduce and that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about the way that the universe works, about physics even, about metaphysics, um, you know, any of those stories. Now, problem with most manifestation as it's taught in, in simplistic books is that for a start, it doesn't really offer a cosmology that makes very much sense. Right. So by cosmology, obviously, I mean a way of understanding how the universe works. Now, not for one moment am I claiming that I have a clue how the universe works, but that is my cosmology, right, that, that we don't know. Um, what we do know is that certain practices have impact and have effect. And when they're repeated multiple times again and again, that power increases. And so problem with not having a way of understanding how the universe works and then trying to manifest something is that you're stuck basically with only one way of telling people how things come about, how you make things, how you manifest things, which is thoughts equal things, right? If you think yourself rich, if you focus on money, that's it. That's how you get your car, your house, your whatever the hell it is that you want. That You just have to focus on the thing that you want and then you will get it. And therefore, if it's not working for you, what that means is you just haven't, you're not good enough at thinking about the thing. It feels like it also is connected to the, the good old everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So if, if things aren't going your way, you, you fucked up. Yeah. And it's like, but don't worry, because it'll, I mean, at one level that everything happens for a reason is kind of fascinating to me because it is always said by people who, well, are trying, they're trying, I think, most of the time to make you feel better. So some terrible fucking tragedies happened and it's like, well, it, everything happens for a reason. Fuck you. You know, like how, how, how dare you presume to know that this horrific trauma that happened to me is, is somehow meaningful, right? Like the point is that we have the ability to make meaning from everything that occurs for us but that is our responsibility and our choice to make that meaning and the meaning does not exist until we've made it so it's not true that everything happens for a reason right everything happens and then you and then you make a reason for it after after the the event and also you know again back to our old friend structural oppression if we don't recognize and see how this impacts every single interaction everything on earth you could say, yeah, everything happens for a reason, and the reason is capitalism. I am curious how, bringing it to the our current material reality, how you are relying on some of your personal practices during the COVID-19 
pandemic. And I know you are also supporting a large number of students, myself included, and kind of helping them stay grounded during this prolonged period of stress. Can you share some of the recommendations that you would make for our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. The first thing is the primary piece of information or guidance or the biggest help that I could ever give anyone would be to say, meditate. And it's it's one of those things that God, I mean, I I even get sick of hearing it. Like nobody wants to be told to meditate. Like absolutely nobody wants to be told to meditate. And yet it really truly is when, when you are taught a practice and you get a technique that works for you, it truly is a refuge. And that's what we need more than anything right now is actually to be able to leave this plane of existence even for 10 minutes a day and just have a fucking break and that that is number one for me is is meditation always I mean I'm having to meditate three times a day at the moment just you know because of the nature of the work that I do for sure but also it's just such an anxious and intense time and anyone that has anxiety disorders as I absolutely do um, you know all of all of the practical techniques that I teach, that I've learned, they are all needed. They are all in in process. So meditation is the first. I use, I have a lot of separate, smaller rituals that um, I, I do for connecting with my spirit guides, for connecting with gods and deities and spirits that I work with daily. And for me, protective rituals are are super important at this at this time so in terms of practical things that I am I can share that would be helpful find some form of meditation even if it's a guided meditation and think of it like a refuge think of it like you are just going for a little little break from this plane for 10 or 15 minutes and try and do it every day and you will see a huge difference I, I promise you The second thing is make sure that you are clearing your space very regularly, right? So when we're all stuck inside, oh my goodness, like the levels of negative energy or anxiety or whatever you want to describe it as, that thick, heavy energy, it's major, that's everywhere. And so how do you clear space so easily? The first thing is open any windows and doors, anything to get some fresh air in. And I would do this once a day at least. You can use bells, you can use herbs that are particularly good. Pine is particularly good for space clearing, Um, cedar wood, white sage, but white sage is problematic if you don't grow it yourself. You should not really buy it. If you cannot burn herbs, you don't have bells, you just clap really loudly. So go into every room of of the building that you're in or that, that you're living in, your home, um, and go into all of the corners, all of the all of the areas, all of the spaces that you would imagine stagnant energy is stuck or just like lying. Imagine it almost like it's sort of a layer of dust. So it's going to hide in little corners. It's going to be under the bed, for example. Go in everywhere and just clap really loudly. Now, what this does, it's vibration of course you're creating a sound um, and it works in the same way as a bell would work it, it literally just expels the negative energy and you want the doors and the windows open so it can leave <laughs> otherwise you just 
pushing it up in the air and then it's falling back down You're again. Just mixing it around. Mixing it up. Yeah. I mean, what I do is I, I do this, I space clear uh, in various different forms and then I hoover or, or you say vacuum in America. You know, I, I, I vacuum it, or it all up. So psychologically, it's also, you know, really, really good. The other thing I would say sort of tip for these incredible times really is when you're washing your hands, I mean, we should all be still washing our hands for 20 seconds as if people weren't washing their hands previously. But anyway, when you're washing your hands, take those 20 seconds to also visualize cleaning your energy. And so you can do that by just imagining you are, you know, like when you're under the shower, it's like everything is being rinsed off, washed off. Well, do that mentally and pull all of the energy that you want off you, anything that is not helpful to you that you don't want anymore pull it all into your hands and, and rinse it off with the water it's just very very effective at clearing anything any energy that you don't want it just drains you know goes down the drain it's it's wonderful how can folks find you follow you or work with you if they would like to learn a little bit more about about your work so yes my primary platform is Instagram and I'm at Kate Thomas PhD Thomas without an H and yeah so I run a six-month program which is the uh, love of my life specifically for women that are basically ready to clear out all of these shitty narratives that have been keeping you stuck in some way. There is a particular focus on manifesting the life that you want. So a lot of the time, the people that I work with, they're very intelligent. They've often achieved a huge amount. These are women who know who they are, but feel like there is something missing, like something hasn't clicked into place, either with the work that they're doing or the relationship they're in, or just the life generally that they've created for themselves just feels like it's not quite it. And so what the work that we do in the program does is really give you an, an, a quite unique, really, um, environment and support and space, and, and then actually practical lessons and exercises to work out what it looks like to be truly connected to who you actually are and then work out what you're most passionate and excited by. And then, of course, to create the life that you want based around those things. Well, Adrian, you know, I mean, I feel so passionate about it. It's life, it's life changing for, for everyone that's been in it. I also offer one-to-one psychic readings. So I've been working as a psychic for 19, 20 years now. Those are pretty intense, but incredibly healing and powerful readings that help you to really get, you know, gain, gain clarity about what is important and get the information that you need from your spirit guides in this sort of very direct and efficient little package of 45 minutes. I also have a bunch of free resources for people. So there is a really great meditation that's a download on my website. If you go to my website, which is drkatethomas.com, I also have a money magic course which is focused on really identifying and clearing the narratives that most of us as women have around money and when you do the work <laughs> which is absolutely challenging right it's about changing challenging confronting these beliefs that are not not good for us when you do I that I can work, vouch for that it's it's very hard <laughs> it's 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 kind of wild i mean the money magic program i have 
had such incredible response from actually because it's very confronting that's the word I would use right it it doesn't let anything hide away I mean that was the intention is that um, it's sort of deceptively simple I effectively am asking you to ask yourself a collection of very very specific questions to understand and get to the root belief that you hold around money in essence what we're trying to do with that money magic program is empower you to be asking the correct questions to weed out the beliefs that are preventing you from having money, absolutely preventing you from having money. And it's hard work, but oh my God, we get right to the very, very root of the behaviors that are keeping us poor or disempowered or in shitty relationships or, you know, not being paid properly or in a job that's almost 90% right, but it's not quite like, where is that coming from? And it is possible to work that out. It is possible because anything is possible because the universe is infinite and so are you. Do you feel better than you did at the beginning of the episode? I do. And that, listeners, is magic. We can change our thoughts and our beliefs and our narratives and our energies. And through that, we can achieve other more material changes in our lives. And even just listening to this podcast together, we've changed in some small way. And I think that's really beautiful. I want to thank Dr. Kate Thomas for being so generous with her time and for all that she has shared with me and in turn allowed me to share with you. I think podcasts are a form of magic and getting to connect with all of you is all the proof I need. If you'd like to send some energy my way in the form of financial support, please consider becoming a feminist hot dog patron over on Patreon. And I don't normally like to brag, but I write really good newsletter emails. My email open rate is over 50%, which is unheard of. So if becoming a patron isn't possible for you right now, visit feministhotdog.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast. Both of those things are a huge help and a much appreciated show of support as well. Feminist Hot Dogs theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Thank you again for listening, and as always, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye. This is Loudspeaker.